0: Welcome to the Accessible Yoga Podcast, your weekly source for questions and answers around equity in yoga, hosted by Jeevana Heyman and Amber Carnes. Join us each week for the powerful conversations with thought leaders at the intersection of justice, knowledge, and practice. Welcome to episode 37. I'm your host, Amber Carnes. In episode 37, Jeevana Haman sits down with Zabi Yamasaki. Zabi is the director of trauma-informed programs at UCLA and is the founder of Transcending Sexual Trauma Through Yoga. Zabi has trained thousands of yoga instructors and mental health professionals on trauma-informed teaching, and her new book, Trauma-Informed Yoga for Survivors of Sexual Assault, is coming out later this year. Jeevana and Zabi discuss trauma-sensitive teaching practices that benefit every student that comes to our classes. They also discuss the role of the teacher, power dynamics, and walking the line between authenticity and healthy boundaries. This conversation invites us to consider ways we can shift our community spaces to create more safety for our students and more opportunities for rest
1: hi everyone this is jivana my pronouns are he and him i'm so excited to be back with another episode of our accessible yoga podcast and especially because today i'm excited to talk to my guest zabi yamasaki um hi zabi you there
2: hi jivana to connect with you and be here
1: I know. I feel like we've tried to connect over the past few years even, and um, finally it's happening.
2: I know. It's such an honor to be here. Thank you for having me.
1: Yeah, I know. I'm so excited. I'm so excited about your new book, um, Trauma-Informed Yoga for Survivors of Sexual Assault, Practices for Healing and Teaching with Compassion. Um, Yeah. (laughs) How do you (laughs) feel hearing that?
2: It doesn't even feel real. Like, just hearing you say that, I'm sort of like... Wow. It's it's really happening. <laughs>
1: it's really happening. When when does it come out officially?
2: So the pre order starts in April next month and it officially comes out in November of twenty twenty.
1: Okay. Wow, you're you're really on it because, yeah, my next book comes out in November, too, but we're not I'm not on this yet. It's like I need more time. (laughs) Anyway, I'm I'm so excited. It's such a great book. And yeah, this might be frustrating for people. They're going to hear this interview and they're not going to be able to get it yet. But maybe this might come out um, in a few weeks so they could pre-order, I guess. (laughs)
3: <laughs> amazing they
1: can, they can pre-order it um, so I didn't really introduce you maybe can you say a few things about your background or what led you to this place of writing this book
2: absolutely. Um, Well, hi, everyone. It's it's so wonderful to connect with you in this space today. My name is Ahabia Yamasaki. My pronouns are she and her. I am the program director of trauma-informed programs at UCLA, and I'm the founder of an organization called Transcending Sexual Trauma Through Yoga, which is an organization with a mission of supporting survivors of sexual assault to heal through the practice of yoga. And in my consulting work, I support about 20 different, actually it's up to 30 now, I can't keep track, oh. um, about 30 different college campuses and trauma agencies and helping them integrate trauma-informed yoga into the scope of their holistic healing modalities. So typically that's within a college counseling center or a college sexual violence response center, or it might be a trauma agency who's recognizing that they want to integrate the body into the treatment process. And so um, I work as a consultant to really help them implement a lot of these modalities. And Mm -hmm. I'm really passionate about um, training yoga teachers and mental health professionals in how to integrate this modality into the scope of their work. Um, So all of these experiences led me to this moment of birthing this, this book in the world and you know, writing it too amidst the pandemic, I believe believe that this happened, but I, I keep saying that I, I feel like the book in many ways was, was meant to be birthed amidst this really unlinear and um, messy timeline because it has really unearthed parts of my own resilience that I hadn't had a language for yet. So it was sort Mm -hmm. of, Mirroring process in many ways. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm just, yeah, I'm excited to talk with it, talk about it with you today. Yeah,
1: I mean, I'm so excited about this book because I, I feel like there's, there's a few there's been a shift, I think, in yoga. And we're seeing that, you know, a few books are coming out that are just really taking us to a new place, you know, like, um, like Gail Parker's book, Dr. Gail Parker, her incredible book, and Susanna Barkataki's new book. And, and I think this one is similar in a way that it's just really looking at yoga um, in the context of where we are today, and making it truly um, applicable. And also, um, kind of like, letting go of some of the past, you know, that was holding us back, I think, in yoga and, and mm-hmm. really looking at like, for me, this issue is so exciting. I mean, I, I think it sounds pretty detailed, you know, when you talk about survivors of sexual assault, but I feel like you're, and that's an important community, but I think you're teaching so much in here about trauma-informed yoga in general, how, but how did you, could you say more about how you got involved in this work, um, focusing on trauma-informed yoga for survivors of sexual assault?
2: absolutely so you know in my own journey as a as a survivor i you know i think for so, so many of us our work comes from a deeply personal place yeah. and as i was navigating the aftermath of of surviving sexual violence there was were so many elements of my healing process that just There were so many broken pieces that I was trying to slowly put back together. And I tried many different things. I tried medication and talk therapy. And not that those things weren't Mm
3: -hmm. helpful,
2: but they weren't getting me to that place of really feeling this integration of my mind, body, spirit. And Mm -hmm. I know that, you know, trauma causes a lot of disintegration within our bodies and I was looking for that piece that was going to help me you know integrate these pieces of myself to remind myself that I was inherently whole but I Mm had got lost there for a while as I was working through these really immense um feelings in the aftermath of sexual violence and I continue to work through those feelings, you know, as we know healing is not linear. And especially amidst the pandemic too, there's been so much mm-hmm. that's been triggered and, you know, with our previous administration as well. Like I yeah. was just this constant Intake of trauma, this collective trauma and grief and crisis that's surrounding us right now. And it's really, you know, triggering and activating all of this healing work that I've done. And so for me, I felt that. I really wanted to. I mean, it makes me really grateful to, to hear you say that the the work is is really broad based, and that a lot of the tools in the book I hope can be applicable to multiple mm-hmm. populations of trauma. Um, but I I wanted to to speak to the hearts and souls of other survivors who I I know uh, you know I wasn't the only one who was feeling like my body needed. to feel grounding and to feel support and to feel that I wasn't alone in my experience. And, Mm -hmm. you know, it's interesting because a lot of my, my professional work has been on college campuses working at sexual violence response centers and for many years I was sort of you know I was doing a lot of presentations on trauma in the community Um, I was always presenting and my sexual violence work was sort of in one box over here and then I started to connect to the practice of yoga and decided to become a yoga teacher but that was in this other box over here and it took a while for me to sort of notice the integration between these two things Hmm. because initially I didn't realize that my yoga practice was playing such an integral role in my healing from sexual violence because I think you know for many survivors we are so prone to dissociating or to Mm -hmm. You know having these very compartmentalized aspects of our lives mm-hmm. um, but it was really beautiful when i started to realize that it was within those four corners of my mat that some of my most profound healing was happening and,
1: and that, that and yeah. you started yoga for healing i mean i mean that's what got you into it though or were you doing yoga before
2: Uh, Well, so I yeah, so I was I started uh, practicing yoga and then I decided to build this eight week curriculum for survivors Mm -hmm. and one night I was like I woke up I was in my pajamas and I just you know sometimes you just have something that like needs to be unlocked inside Mm -hmm. of you whether it's through movement or through journaling or through you know any any means of of what works for you and and one night I woke up And I just started to write out all of these themes and affirmations that were really tailored to the unique experience of survivors of sexual assault. So themes around safety and boundaries and assertiveness and self and community care, self-compassion. And it just, I literally wrote it all out. And Mm. I was like, I need to, I, I need to facilitate this. I need to share it somehow. And it started at one university at UC Irvine, and then it started to build and build and build. And now it's so much bigger than me. Um, it's, I think what's been amazing is the referrals that have come from other campuses so like if one campus had a really good experience with with me or with the program they would tell their colleagues and and that's how it really spread and now it's up to 30 campuses that are wow. facilitating wow. this program
3: it's amazing
2: it's, it's an amazing feeling. And I think what is the most meaningful is I continue to get notes from, you know, yoga teachers at these various campuses and trauma agencies who are facilitating the curriculum, who are so just I feel so blessed and grateful to be offering this work. Um, I hear from survivors who are participating in these programs, sharing how you know the program absolutely changed their lives and the trajectory of their healing process and helped decrease their symptoms of PTSD and anxiety and depression. And just, you know, those stories are the ones that I hold so deeply mm-hmm. in my heart because that it just shows the ripple effect when we believe in, in our dreams and we believe in our healing and we put it out in the world. And then it, you know, it starts to, to just build organically. I think that's just some of the most beautiful work that can happen in the world. Yeah,
1: Well, I mean, I love the way that you took your personal challenge and like turn and then your own healing process and turned it into a form of service you know to to support Mm -hmm. others it's it's such a great story I mean I that's what I first noticed about you and when I heard about your work originally I was I was surprised about how detailed you were you know that the title of your work was trauma-informed yoga for survivors of sexual assault because I or I can't remember is that the name of your organization it's it's, what is it it's um
2: yes it's transcending sexual trauma
1: Yeah, Mm -hmm. and I and I thought you know so many teachers are out there teaching trauma informed yoga, and it just you know kind of in a general way, and you're like so specific, and I thought it's so powerful what you've done, which is really connect it directly to your experience, and I think that's just such a beautiful thing, Uh, and I I, I don't know I can really feel it in in your work and in your book too, like that the way that um, you've taken kind of your personal struggles and and transformed them. I mean it it's Mm -hmm. just amazing. Really amazing! Thank you
2: so much for for saying that. I I think you know when I wrote the book too. I it was important to me to speak to different audiences, mm-hmm. you know, and I, as you know, even a you know you've written two books now and it's you think about your audience. And I I was like, wow, okay. Mm -hmm. I want this to speak to survivors. I want this to speak to yoga teachers. I want this to speak to educators and mental health professionals. And I thought the best way I could do that was just honoring my own vulnerability and and my own experience. Because we know that so often those who go into this work or into this field, it's often from a deeply personal place because they've yeah. been affected by trauma themselves or their loved ones so um that was you know really important to me to kind of weave those different experiences into the book
1: yeah i actually had a little i have some quotes from the book that i wanted to share <laughs> if that's okay of you quotes of your writing uh, well and, and this part this one reminded me what we're talking about which is just the importance of this work and um you say I knew that I wanted to build a program that spoke to the language of the body and honored the roots of the practice—a program that was soulful, intersectional, accessible, and culturally affirming at its core. I believe, in the context of our various professional roles, that we—in the context of our various professional roles—that we have an obligation to be mindful of the way that trauma manifests for our students. For yoga teachers, this would mean offering the same care and attention to experiences of trauma that you do to physical injuries. And I just, I love that analogy. I thought that was really, um, really important. Well, because, you know, our community is mostly yoga teachers. And I just think that uh, most accessible yoga teachers are are sensitive to trauma. In fact, to me, to be an accessible yoga teacher means you're a trauma-informed teacher. I mean, those things are, um, I don't know, not the same. But I would say, like, to me, accessible yoga would include that. You know, you can't be accessible without being trauma-informed. But I think that most yoga teachers don't get that you know, like out there, um, I think things are changing, but I just love that analogy. And I think we're so conscious of the physical, but so often we lose the emotional, psychological piece. And it's so important, especially because as you were describing earlier, I mean, this work is so powerful for healing. And so there's such incredible potential here. Um, and yet maybe we're actually doing some harm, you know, it's like, um, it's so interesting that something that can be used to heal could also be harmful, you know, yes. and so it's, it's yes. that's why this feels so important to me. And I guess where I really want to talk to you more about that today is just like that t- turning it to that healing side, you know, like like really making sure that we're um, teaching in a way that supports our students rather than. Um, re-traumatizing them or, or not supporting them or being, um, exclusive in some way.
2: Yes. You know what I mean? Oh, absolutely. As you, as you're speaking, it makes me think of, you know, there's this piece of my, I lead three-day, uh, trauma-informed teacher trainings at both in person and online. And there's one piece of the training that I talk about where I kind of lead people through this experience of, you know, if you can imagine a survivor maybe goes to their therapist or they go and see their primary care physician and the doctor recommends that they try yoga to, you know, support their healing process or to support mm-hmm. either having PTSD symptoms or experiencing dissociation or anxiety or flashbacks. You know, many people will say, Oh, go try yoga, that might be really good for you. Yeah. For somebody who has no experience with the practice, or doesn't have a lot of guidance on, you know, how to find a teacher, or maybe they don't even know that there are teachers who are trained in being sensitive to their experiences of trauma, and they're just sort of looking for a class. And you can imagine if a survivor looks up a class, and maybe they you know, go to the first studio that they find and they walk into the class and maybe it's a heated class, maybe there are straps hanging on the wall Maybe the mats are placed really close, one next to each other. Um, maybe the teacher puts their hands on them without their permission. You know, you can suddenly see how this environment that they sought out to be really supportive to their healing process has become really harmful. Mm-hmm. Um, And so just these these nuances of the ways that we teach. And and I always say, too, that, you know, because sometimes people will say, well, I don't that's not the kind of yoga that I teach or that's not Mm -hmm. my. Population, but we know that numbers speak volumes and that there are trauma survivors in your classes every single day. And Mm -hmm. they want to go to classes where their physical and emotional boundaries are appreciated and celebrated. And you can still teach a a heated vinyasa class from a trauma informed lens, right? It doesn't Mm -hmm. have to be limited to, you know, so much of this work can be integrated into the communities that we're teaching
1: yeah i mean so so i think that's a powerful statement that the trauma sur- survivors of sexual trauma are already in the class <laughs> they're yeah. you're, you're teaching them already if you're teaching yeah. public classes so you know are you how are you supporting your students i think it's so important i know i have with accessible yoga we have a similar thing because people we mostly focus on physical disability or um people uh, who are older or larger bodies, stuff like that. Although we include everyone in our classes, but it's the same thing that doctors often refer people to yoga and then I wonder when those when someone goes to yoga, maybe they go because they have heart disease or they have a back issue. Yes. You know, what is, what kind of yoga are they going to and what are they, what's the experience they're having? Um, exactly. Is it actually supportive or is it actually making things worse? So exactly. I think this kind of sensitivity is yeah really, really essential. Um one thing maybe you could speak to though cuz when we talk about trauma informed yoga I think sometimes people get confused between like teaching generally in a trauma informed way versus teaching specific people who've had like who have a diagnosed PTSD you know what I mean yeah. like I feel like like not every yoga teacher knows, needs to know how to teach people with PTSD but like every yoga teacher needs to know how to be trauma informed is what I would say. Absolutely,
2: absolutely. Yeah. Um, yeah. Oh my gosh, there's so much to say. <laughs> <laughs> on this. I think I would start with. And I'm glad that you're making that distinction because there are, you know, so many folks from all across the world who come to my trainings, and there there's such a diversity of experiences and populations that they're teaching. And I always share that actually the first the first place I started teaching from a trauma informed lens was actually at a CrossFit gym.
1: I read that in the book. Yeah. (laughs) In the book. Yeah.
2: I added that. I talked about that in the book. But I always share that because, you know. It, CrossFit is, is a really physically demanding practice and at first I kind of walked into this space and everybody looked at me like who, who is this woman giving us all these choices and having us be in our feelings and but it was it was such a beautiful experience because it it offered the softness of the practice into a maybe a not you know a non-traditional environment where I would you know now I have Pretty much only teach to survivors of sexual assault, but, um, you know, it was so amazing to see the softness in their bodies, the tenderness and compassion that they were offering themselves, um, especially within a practice that's so physically challenging. And, and I think that, you know, there are many things that we can do within, within our communities that we're teaching that are maybe not specific to teaching survivors who might have ptsd or anxiety or depression whether that's Mm -hmm. being intentional about um integrating invitational language into all aspects of what we do um having a consent positive framework and in the use of touch or oils or anything that you might be doing within your class The the general, you know, I I always say that showing up is the hardest part Mm. for, for for so much of life, right? Like, (laughs) showing up is the hardest part. And every day we're having people come to our classes who, who knows what it took for them to arrive or what it took for them to get there that day. And just affirming that, you know, if they wanted to just find one shape or one posture and stay there for the entire practice, that that would be amazing and supported. And this is their body and all their practice and their choices mm-hmm. their are celebrated. Like there's so much that we can do within our own supportive presence um, to invite people into a compassionate space. Because I talked about this a little bit in the book, but what ends up happening is this parallel process of, you know, life is already so. Fast-paced and so hard, and we're moving so quickly. And you know, mm. you think about too within this pandemic environment, people are spending eight hours a day on Zoom, and. Yeah. We're just not where it's leading to adrenal fatigue and chronic stress. And our bodies are just not designed to function like this. Mm-hmm. And, then, you know, people come into a yoga space and they start replicating just like that pushing and that adrenaline. And, you know, I think there's so much um, beauty in just inviting rest as a radical practice. Mm
1: hmm. Yeah. And I have, I have some questions for you about that. I want to talk about like specifics that you, like what you'd recommend in the classroom, if that's okay. But yeah. I wondered if you could talk just generally about the role of the teacher too. Cause like, I feel like you're already t- starting to talk about that, but I think you, you speak in the book about it. you Again, I'm going to read a short quote from you, you know, I would like to shift the paradigm of me in the role of, as teacher and you in the role as student. And I, I really love that. that. That's something we talk about a lot in accessible yoga. And I, I just thought, I don't see that enough. And I thought maybe, I wonder if you could talk about what that means to you. Like, what is that shift that you're interested in there?
2: I, I love that you brought this up. And it it reminds me of of this quote from Nikki Myers, which is, healing cannot happen in hierarchy. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's such an important frame as teachers, whether that's me in a training role, because especially with trauma, you know, I never want it to feel like if you just do this checklist of things, then you'll be a trauma Mm -hmm. teacher, right? Like, mm-hmm. of course, we're offering some general frameworks and some general considerations around trauma. But as we know, not everyone's experience is going to be the same. What works for one person isn't going to necessarily be the same for another. Um, that's why it comes back to this: the, the importance of of recognizing your role as a teacher and, and dismantling some of these power dynamics and inviting everyone into <clears throat> A space where they can co-create. And that's really important to me when I'm offering uh, trauma-informed teacher trainings. Like the quote that you read is something that I typically share in the beginning when I'm offering disclaimers and inviting in this community of support, because I want everyone to be able to have their voice be heard and to, you know, I think some of the richness of these, of these training experiences is that we can all learn from each other. And Mm -hmm. similarly, when I'm, you know, teaching to survivors of sexual assault, again, it's this co-creation experience of, you know, how does the lighting feel in here? Mm -hmm. Or, well, I'm going to invite in this breath practice today, but I'd love your feedback about how did it land for you or what are some modifications that you might make to create more safety into your experience um, mm-hmm. or, you know what do you all need out of the practice today? The theme I had was, was boundaries, but how does that land for folks today? Because I think so often we come in, you know, we all do this. Like we, we map out what we want the practice to look like or
3: how Mm -hmm.
2: certain themes to be integrated into the asana practice or, you know, but sometimes the just, releasing all of that, of of all of the planning and the doing and just showing up as a teacher exactly as you are and inviting the students to be in that with you. Those are some of the most beautiful classes I teach when I let go of all of my plans mm-hmm. and teach to those who are in front of me because my the students that I'm honored to to support in their healing journey are my greatest teachers
1: well can I just I just want to echo that point because it's, it's there's a it sounds like a contradiction I think when you say it but it's just so true which is that you really need to be prepared You know, you have to really, you have to do your work, you have to do your, you know, get your training and practice and education in. And then when you're in the room, you have to kind of let it go. Like you you have a plan, but you also really need to be open to what's needed in that moment. Although I know with trauma-informed teaching, it's also good to be consistent, right? Like there's like a... It, it can be um, helpful to have like a consistent plan that you generally use, right? Like kind of a container for that practice, right? Like you might start in a similar way and have a exactly. similar kind of routine that you go through. But there can be changes according to what people need in that moment. And there are always, students are always free to do what they need to do. Is that exactly. right?
2: Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. I love that you lay, that you kind of, <laughs> that in the way that you did because you're right it can sound kind of contradictory Mm -hmm. because I think what oftentimes happens is when people come to trauma-informed teacher trainings they they oftentimes are looking for that checklist Yeah, you know okay I'm thinking about offering trauma-sensitive breath work and I'm not going to offer physical assist, and I'm going to provide some psychoeducation about trauma but I really try to Invite people to let go of being so tethered to the frameworks. Yes, you want to feel grounded in what those are, but also at some point you have to just trust the work that you've done, trust the training that you've done, and trust in your gifts as a teacher because there's so much wisdom that you already hold within your own body in the way that you hold the safety of the container and you build that rapport and that trust with your students. I know. For me, there are times where, you know, I spend weeks developing, you know, helping students access safety in their bodies and Mm -hmm. developing that trust and that compassionate space. And then we do we get to a point where, you know, we can be a little more like, let's go with the flow today because we've already spent so much time like feeling grounded in that community together. Mm -hmm. Um, That actually happened last week. Like I. I. I had come into this space and, and like you said, building the the consistency within trauma informed teaching is really important because that can be really supportive and stabilizing for folks who might be struggling with a dysregulated nervous system or or feeling the impacts of PTSD. Um, and I, you know, I came into teaching last week and I just looked at everybody on Zoom and I'm like, nothing is normal. <laughs> You know, like not, no one is okay. Like yeah. we keep pushing and pretending. and and it was one of the most beautiful classes I think I've ever had the opportunity to teach because it was just leaning into our humanness of of not sticking to a rigid plan and rather just being in the moment with each other and just honoring, you know, bringing bringing to the
3: surface mm-hmm. what so
2: many people were feeling mm-hmm. in that moment. And it was really yeah. <laughs> for all of us. <laughs>
1: And also it seems like there's, there's, well, it reminds me of boundaries. So that's something that you mentioned later. Like you talk about, um, there's a section in the book where you talk about like really clear, um, instructions for yoga teachers to teach trauma-informed
0: in a trauma-informed
1: way. And you talk about being a supportive presence and holding space, but you also talk about boundaries and it seems like it's, it's, it's like you need to have a boundary, have clear boundaries with students, but also be really, um, authentic and like share, like you were just said like things aren't normal today. Like this is, you know, maybe share, like I'm, I'm, you know, I'm overwhelmed by it. It's too much for me. You know, how how are you? Like there's, how do you, it's like finding that balance again, it seems contradictory, but like where you share yourself, but it's also really not about you and you have a very strong boundary.
2: Yes. Yes. I, um, I think that again, too, is, is a skill that continues to build over time. And I I always feel like it's so important to talk about the concept of embodied boundaries in mm. my training, because, you know, so often people, you know, as we've talked about, go into this work because of their own experiences of sexual
3: mm-hmm. trauma
2: and they've gotten to a place in their healing where, They're like, okay, you know, I've I've done a lot of healing work, whether it's yoga or therapy or a number of supportive modalities that are out there. And they get to that place where they think I'm ready. You know, I'm ready to take this next step and I want to take this really painful experience and turn it into my passion and I want to help other people and there's a lot of work that goes into that process especially as we consider that healing you know there's n- there's typically no finish line right mm-hmm. like you never know when our experiences of sexual trauma are going to be triggered and so i always talk about the importance of of really committing to your own personal practice your emotional safety rituals for me it's really important to kind of have a buffer both before and after I'm going to be teaching Mm
3: -hmm. because
2: if I am coming into the class in a really like if I'm not doing well or if I'm very dysregulated Mm -hmm. that show up in the way that I'm teaching and then that it makes it difficult for me to hold a safe and strong container for all the experiences of trauma that are being held in that space. So I always, you know, remind people, you know, at the, at the level of our psychobiology, our our nervous system is constantly communicating to us about mm-hmm what we need or what we don't need? Or is this person safe? Or, you know, I I think a lot about too, as we were talking about in the beginning, just the level of trauma intake that all of us have been exposed to over the course of this year. Mm -hmm. Uh, Hearing about, uh, the I mean, I think it's 600,000 people who have lost Mm. their lives to this pandemic. And then you know you see that the white supremacy the white supremacy attacks
3: mm-hmm.
2: you know in january yeah. it's like you know it's so hard to escape the constant mm-hmm. intake of trauma and all of that is is impacting us it's mm-hmm it's absolutely at a very visceral level impacting the way that we're functioning and showing up. And so I just, I share all of this because I think all of this really ties to the concept of embodied boundaries and being really intentional about not only taking care of ourselves, but being able to set limits with kindness and, and being honest when if somebody is sharing In a class, for example, you're teaching the survivors of sexual assault, and you know you you will start to notice, wow, this feels really out of my. Mm. out of my professional landscape and it's okay to say you know i i'm so grateful that you trust me and that you feel comfortable sharing all of this with me and i i really want to make sure that i'm getting you connected to additional support that you might need in your healing process and would you be open if i shared some referrals to you what some referrals with you mm-hmm. and you know i think I'm sharing that and, and hoping that doesn't come off as me being like rude or assert any, um, or mean it's me being honest about what my capacity is as a teacher and making sure that I can provide more intentional support to this student.
3: Mm-hmm. Um,
2: so I think I I'm answering this in a roundabout way, but boundaries are such a layered concept. And, mm-hmm. um, so much of it is like, feeling anchored in our own practices and then being able to kind of, um, notice when something feels outside of our ability to provide support.
1: Right. It's like scope of practice, you know, like professional scope of practice that it could be, you know, even, um, even if someone has had training in trauma informed teaching, I I don't, I still think a yoga teacher needs to be really careful that they don't cross the line where they're acting like a therapist or, um, you know something that's not within their training, yes. uh, and I know that I've you know I've definitely been put in that position that you know myself just where you where you start teaching and you 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 know students begin to trust you and they want your support and they come to you and it's like it's one thing if a student comes to you with questions around the practices you know or how they can build their home practice or a question about something maybe related to yoga philosophy but it's different when they start talking about their personal trauma and. And I feel like that's where I like do exactly what you said is that that there you step in and say like, you know, I could refer you to someone like a therapist or, you know, mm-hmm. it's really essential, I think. And that's the ethical thing to do. That's- you know, yoga teachers, we actually have a scope of practice now from Yoga Alliance just as of last year. We never had one before. So.
3: Yes. <laughs>
2: that's
1: a good thing.
3: That's
2: a very good thing. There's some yeah. really good and support there. But and- I think that's
1: a, that creates safety, right? <laughs>
2: Too. Absolutely. It models safety. It models really good boundaries and, boundaries. and survivors who, you know, maybe struggle with, with boundaries in their own lives. I think you being a really supportive model of that
3: mm-hmm. is
2: actually very therapeutic and very healing.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: And when I'm leading Uh, these eight-week series for survivors within this closed format, um, I'm really intentional up front when I'm creating the safety of the container and we're talking Mm -hmm. about ground rules is mentioning that scope of practice in the beginning
3: Mm -hmm. and,
2: and what the intention of these classes are. And I also find that, you know, so many of the survivors appreciate a space where they don't have to find the words to articulate their experience that they can be in this supportive community with other survivors who can really relate and understand of how, Mm. how hot it is. And, and, feeling just that they're not alone in anything that they're navigating and that they can be in this beautiful and empowering community and talking about themes that relate to their own healing or the messy and unlinear process. It's its just amazing, just the, the supportive community that develops. Like There's one survivor I'll never forget. She said... Never have I felt so safe without having to without having to speak a single word about my assault.
3: Mm.
2: And it's, you know those words have stayed with me for so many years because mm. I think that comes back to the role of the yoga teacher and committing to your own work and being able to hold that strong container that even though they're not there to verbalize, the details of any experience of sexual assault that they've been through that you can still provide such an avenue and pathway for healing and growth.
1: And then I wanted to ask you about um, one of the things you talk about is cultural considerations and accessibility. I wonder if you could talk about that. You talk a lot about racism and kind of the intersection of racism and um, sexual trauma. Is that right? I mean, I, I, I think it was, I think it's um, interesting because Well, maybe you can let me know what you think about that.
2: Yes, yes, there's so much to say. Um there's a concept <laughs> today. I, I know this I'm so like,
1: that'll be a next book. I don't Oh my
3: you're
2: right. It's just this, this a whole pathway to oh I didn't get to detail this concept in this book. So I guess I have to write another one. And then I try to do you I'm sure you've seen like on Instagram I try to do these like little nuggets of yeah just you know and and obviously it's it's hard to write with nuance on social media because you, you're only there's only so much you're able to to articulate and i struggle with that too especially as it relates to trauma-informed teaching because i i don't want people to think it's this quick you know it's this quick checklist it's it's a mm-hmm. lifelong commitment to mm-hmm. informed and being an ally and and you know I think a lot about the concept of embodied inequality and race-based trauma, which Dr. Gail Parker just, you know, speaks so beautifully in her book. Um, But we have to really consider how complex trauma is and sexual trauma and that it, it doesn't just encompass these individual experiences of trauma that we might have or those that we're holding space for might have, but also systemic trauma and violence and trauma from discrimination. So being really thoughtful about the intersection between racism and discrimination and oppression, because when someone is being oppressed that can show up in their body as physical sensations and, um, similar to PTSD symptoms, this is something known as race-based trauma. And I love Dr. Gail Parker's work because there's something that she talks about, um, how people of color really, um, yoga and meditation are practices that oftentimes help people of color to experience safety in their vulnerability. And this is a really new learning for many of us who might have these ongoing um, cumulative and recurrent experiences of racial stress, whether that's through microaggressions or just the, you know, the impact of of racism in America today and just being exposed to the, the constant violence against black bodies. Um, and she talks about how people of color really need this therapeutic experience of learning to rest in ways that feel safe, mm-hmm. knowing what the absence of stress feels like. and. For me, when I teach from a trauma-informed lens, um, I also think about the avenue that it creates for people to slowly unpack what rest means for them. Mm -hmm. and the hope is ultimately rest can really feel restorative and um nourishing and and not take the form of numbing or dissociation or suppressing or avoiding and Mm. not that we should have any shame around those those resilience responses as molly bader harris calls them as opposed Mm. to the symptoms but that um you know, we have to, to really tend to those resilience responses with care and compassion because we oftentimes come back to those as a way to survive because those are what, what helped us survive the trauma. And so we come back to those, but I think a lot of the healing and growth can happen in in being able to reclaim some of that.
1: Yeah. Thank you. And is there, is there anything else you would say, like just generally what kind of comes to the top, um, of the list for you in terms of what yoga teachers should know um you know what what are the main is there like are there one or two points that you that we haven't talked about yet that might be important for yoga teachers
2: (laughs) i you know i think that um i there's there's a lot of different frameworks that we could talk about um, just in terms of you know thinking about the neurobiology of trauma and why choices are so important Um, you know I think especially as yoga teachers having an understanding of the impact of trauma on the brain and the body is so critical Um, I think you know sometimes people are like do I really need to know this information or like is this relevant to my teaching but i i just think that the more we can understand the the overall survivor experience it provides a more holistic scope to mm. inform our teaching yeah and so I would just encourage folks to continue to to lean into training and continue to you know I remember when I first became a yoga teacher I I taught in the way that I was trained yeah. you know? I, I sounded like the teachers that trained me. I cued things in the way that I was taught. And it was so rigid and, and performative in many ways because I was just trying to like do it the way that I was taught. But I think you know the beauty of how diverse and expansive the trauma-informed yoga field is, is that there are so many teachers to learn from, from there are so many students who are your greatest teachers. And I would just, I guess I would just share that, you know, continuing to lean into that. And, and I think nuance in the way that we teach is the greatest gift Mm. because there's no, Mm. uh, there's no one size fits all approach. And you get to reclaim your own teaching voice and your own Mm. style. um, And that, you know, students deserve to be in places that truly, you know, feel, feel safe and supportive where they can show up exactly as they are and know that that's going to be honored and appreciated and not have to look a specific way or be a specific way. Um, yeah,
1: yeah. I I think I, I love that. I mean, I think you talk about how as teachers, we often get into kind of, a I don't know what it is, like a trap where we are performing a bit. We're just trying to do what we think we're supposed to do rather than being authentic ourselves and creating an experience and a relationship with our students that's authentic. And it feels like that's what you're kind of that's what I feel through the whole book. Is like there's a theme of seeing the students as an equal and someone that you're in a relationship with and respecting them in that way. Um, and giving them a lot more choice and, and power than you might in a more commercial yoga class, you know, setting. Yes, that's what. Yeah,
2: that makes, makes me, you know, that that is one of the best um, compliments that's really landing on my heart because oh, that's good. one of the themes that you know, as I sat down to write it, I really wanted it to feel like a relationship.
3: Yeah. Mm-hmm.
2: Um, the best relationships are like mutual respect and care, mm-hmm. you know. And so, thank you for for reflecting that.
1: Yeah, uh, it, it's sad that we have to teach people how to be in relationship, but I think that I think that, <laughs> I think that <laughs> that's kind of where we're at, you know. Because sometimes we go in, we we take on a role, and we think we're we kind of perform that role without really allowing ourselves to. Embody that that role as us, you know, and really bring ourselves into it, and then see the other person as whole, um, and as an equal, kind of an equal spiritual being, rather than as their role. So, anyway, that that's I mean, I think that's a what yoga is, is about in a way, right? Is to see yourself in others, um, and I feel like you've done, you've done so much to help with that, like talking about how to. know, create a safe space in the yoga class, how to speak in a way that is uh, welcoming and invitational and, and, um, uh, you know, using consent and safe safety, um, sensitivity. So anyway, I, I love it. I love your book. So I hope, I hope people read it. I know they can't yet (laughs) (laughs) by the time we hear this, (laughs) um, but they can pre-order it and we'll, we'll add the information. Um, okay, we'll add links to the notes. I wonder if, you, if we could end, usually we end with a question. Um, so we leave people with like a question to reflect on themselves. I wonder if, I know we're talking really about being in the role of teacher and we could, be, we could ask people to reflect on that as teachers, but I wonder if you have a question that you could think of um, that might be useful. Is that fair? There's there's probably a lot of questions you could think of, but
2: a question for yoga teachers?
1: Yeah, I guess so. I think that's cuz that's the theme we've been focusing on is being in the role of teacher. So maybe yeah, a question mm-hmm. for yoga teachers to consider.
2: Oh, yes, I have one. So, Tarana Burke, who is the founder of the Me Too movement, Mm -hmm. there's something that she said that has really impacted me and that I continue to integrate within my teaching and, and honestly just in the way that I show up in the world. And she says, if you can imagine that in every space that you enter, there are a number of survivors. In those spaces, how Hmm. might it invite you to integrate more empathy and kindness and compassion into the way that you show up?
3: Great.
2: Um. I just think it's a it's a beautiful inquiry to think about, just in inviting us into a more compassionate world. And so Mm -hmm. I, I love thinking about those words from her.
1: Yeah, that's a beautiful question. It reminds me of that. What is that phrase about how, you know, everyone is struggling with things that we don't know about, you know what I mean? That idea that we don't know people's experiences and stories. And, um, and so she's asking us to assume that in every space there are survivors of sexual, um, assaults. Is that what she's saying?
3: Yes, exactly.
1: That's beautiful. All right. So we can leave them with that. Anything else you want to share with us?
2: Oh, I think that I think we covered so much. I'm just so <laughs> grateful for this time, and it was so beautiful connecting with you. And thank you to all of you who are listening. And uh, it's a real honor, and I'm I'm excited to stay connected to you.
1: Yeah. Well, thank you so much. Thanks for writing this book and for all your work. It's just really amazing and uh, inspiring to hear more about it. So I really do hope people will um, pre-order the book because by the way, pre-orders are really important, actually. I don't know if you know that because pre-orders help They help the kind of book industry decide whether a book's going to like do well or not. And then it'll get more, um, it'll get out there even more. When it finally gets published, it'll get more support and marketing. So I think it's essential to pre-order books if you're interested in an author's work. So I hope people will do that. Anyway, so thank you so much. Thanks for being here with me. Um, All right. Take care.
0: Thank you. Take care. Okay. Bye. Bye. Thank you for joining us for another week of the Accessible Yoga Podcast. I wanted to let you know that the new cohort of Jeevana's Accessible Yoga Training Online is now forming. There's an interest list up at AccessibleYogaTraining.com that you can join. The next section of this training will run May 10th through the 24th with enrollment opening on May 3rd. The Accessible Yoga Training Online is a 30-hour continuing education program that will teach you a new way of thinking about yoga postures and practices that honors the essence of yoga and yoga. And allows you to design multiple-level classes where students of different abilities, ages, shapes, sizes, and experience levels can all practice together with ease. You'll get support from experts around topics like trauma-informed teaching, working with larger bodies, yoga for seniors, yoga marketing, and much more from our team of accessible yoga trainers. And since we're learning at home now, there's no travel expenses, everything's recorded with captions, and you can review materials and work at your own pace. So if this work is calling to you, we hope you'll go over to AccessibleYogaTraining.com and sign up for the interest list. Over the next few weeks, we'll be sending out information about the course and teachings from Jeevana that will help make your classes and learning spaces more accessible. So whether you're teaching online, in person, or don't know what the heck is happening next, why not spend this spring developing your skills as a teacher who can make their classes accessible for all and have every student leave your class feeling affirmed and successful. Join the interest list now at AccessibleYoga training.com leave us a review on the podcast subscribe let us know your feedback we really appreciate it and it helps us to make this better every single week we'll be taking a short break soon while we prepare prepare for season two but we love hearing from you and knowing what questions or topics you'd like us to discuss leave us feedback at accessible podcast we'll see you soon thanks